Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey, hey, y'all. Welcome back to season seven of the Heart of Dating podcast. It's your host, Kate Warman here. And if you didn't know, we are currently in the middle of our season seven LGBTQ plus community and the church series. And wow, you guys have shown up big time and I am so overwhelmed and grateful. Here's something someone recently said to me personally. Kate, I am in tears of pure joy that you are doing this. As a straight woman being in a Christian church, I sometimes feel I don't belong because of my love for the LGBTQ plus community. And it makes me so sad to even say that. Man, you guys, I can so resonate with what this person was saying. I really, really hope and pray that you're walking through this series feeling challenged to better love your LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters, to better seek to understand them, to better ask them questions instead of leading with judgments or trying to change them. Gosh, I think our hearts should be burdened for those around us that we've often excommunicated or immediately judged. So would you continue to join me as we collectively change together on this journey? Before we get into this episode, I wanted to announce that theheartofdating.com has gotten a giant facelift. That's right, my friends. Through our brand new website, you can find so many incredible ways to get connected to this stellar community. And though I might be a little bit biased, I really think that we have one of the best communities around. We have a resources tab on our website with a ton of brand new and free resources. Do you want to know our ultimate book list for dating? You guys always ask us, what are our top books that we recommend for dating? Well, it's on there, on the website, under our free resources. How about how to show interest to someone that you like? Or what about the seven dating resources to change the dating game? What about an ultimate step-by-step guide to the stages of dating? You guys, we put together some free and easy resources for you to help you right now in your dating life. You can also search our podcast archive of over 170 plus episodes at this point by category to help you find a bunch of new episodes that are on the topic of your choice. Do you want episodes that have to do with singleness? What about heartbreak, mental health, tools to sharpen your dating life, hot topics? We have it all available on our podcast archive page. Also, you guys, we have a brand new page for our Drop the Hanky dating program. We've changed up the structure entirely. And if you're a guy, you can sign up right now to get a free video coaching call and apply to be a single dude featured in our program to hundreds of women. You'll also get invited to our exclusive men's community nights that are only available for Drop the Hanky men. And if you're a girl, you can sign up for our Drop the Hanky waitlist to find out when the doors are open to the next open registration of Drop the Hanky. Also on the website, you can see how to join our community from our private Facebook group to our clubhouse nights to our Instagram and so many other things. I'm kind of obsessed with our entire website and I gotta admit that we worked really, really hard on it. So I hope you check it out. All right, let's get into the episode today, shall we? Today I'm talking with the amazing Sam Albury, a single Christian man who is same-sex attracted. Sam Albury speaks around the world as a pastor, preacher, and apologist. He is the author of Seven Myths About Singleness, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With, and What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. Today, Sam and I actually discuss why he uses the word same-sex attracted versus calling himself a gay Christian. As you may remember, earlier on in the series, we had the incredible Greg Coles on the show, and he actually refers to himself as a single gay Christian. So I love diving into the conversation with Sam and asking him why he, on the flip side, refers to himself as same-sex attracted. Some other things we talk about today are why we are so hyper-focused on our ability to be in a romantic and specifically sexual relationship. Sam also really eloquently answers my question about how many people actually feel that the Christian view of sexuality is dangerous and harmful. 
As a single man who is same-sex attracted, I actually saw a clip of Sam who was speaking at the General Synod and was astounded hearing him fight for the traditionally Christian view of marriage as a same-sex attracted man. So I also bring that up in our conversation today, and we have a beautiful conversation about why he fights for the traditionally Christian view of marriage. This is a great episode filled with love as well as some incredible biblical wisdom. So without further ado, let's dive into this epic conversation with Sam Alberry. Sam Alberry, thank you so much for being on Heart of Dating today. Welcome, my friend. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> well, this has been so fun. Sam, you've been traveling. You've been doing some really cool things in this season. And I want to let you know the first way I got connected to you was my sweet, incredible mentor, Lizzie, who shared about your story. And she was like, you need to hear Sam. He is really profound. I immediately got your book on the internet, Is God Anti-Gay? I started reading that. It's a really, really great book. Just like uh, answers so many awesome questions. And so I would love for people initially off the bat to kind of hear a little bit about who you are and what you do. So would you be able to share that with us? I'm happy to. And, and again, thank you for the, the privilege of, of joining you. I, I first heard about you from Preston. Oh, yeah. And uh, when your when your invitation came through, I said to Preston, hey, she who's this person? Yes. Should I do this? He's like, oh, she's great. Go on it. Go for it. <laughs> Preston's so, the um, best. He's coming on the season as well. And I love him. Oh, my gosh. So thank you, oh, to he's Preston. He's a great man. Yes. <laughs> Very dear brother. Yeah. So my story is that I, I became a Christian around the age of 18 and sort of up until that point had sort of not really believed in God or really looked at Christianity at all. Um, my main preoccupation up until that point was uh, realizing I was same-sex attracted. Um, mm. It took me a while to figure that out as a teenager. And then obviously becoming a Christian, then needing to think through human sexuality from the point of view of what does that mean? if you're a follower of Jesus. So becoming acquainted with what the Bible teaches, with what it means to, to bring this into Christian discipleship, um, to follow God's will and his, his word on that. So I've, I've been single ever since then, and happily so for most of that time. Uh, so it, it took me a while to, A, to realize that I was same-sex attracted. It took me a while to realize that actually God's word to me in this situation is a good word mm. and then to start to see that become a means of blessing to other people as well yeah that that's really beautiful I think um, we've been talking a lot about singleness too in this series. What I love about um, what we can learn from our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters is is the beauty of singleness. What I love is like we have so many singles, whether same-sex attracted or straight individuals listening to this podcast, and I think that there's such a beauty in what we can learn uh, together about singleness. And because right now, <laughs> I mean, we I've said this for years, um, being a single woman myself, like we we often and see from the church so much emphasis on marriage, so much emphasis on children, and kind of a lack of the celebration of the season of singleness and that not everyone really will even be called to marriage, you know? And so the, the, it's that from kind of some of our church experiences plus culture that says, you know, and heightens our romantic relationships, sexual relationships, and of course, marriage and fairy tales and romance, which can often cloud, cloud us from seeing the beauty that can be the season of singleness. We're going to get into a little bit more of that, Sam. I would love to also start off with this though, because earlier in the season, we had the awesome Greg Coles onto the show and he is an amazing guy. I love connecting with him. We had a great conversation and he prefers to refer to himself as a gay Christian. And so this nuance of phrasing, we've already had some people, you know, talking about this with me and my DMs and over email of like, Hey, this, you know, calling somebody a gay Christian or them calling themselves a gay Christian versus saying same-sex attracted, I have an issue with that. And so I I know even just earlier you said same-sex attracted, and I know that's kind of how you, that's the kind of term you utilize. And so I'd love to learn a little bit about why you came to use that terminology versus saying that you were gay. I think it's important to kind of hear both sides. Yeah, thank you. And I've got very dear friends who who will land in different places on this. Um, and, you know, I want to honor them as well. 
Um, but but for me, I've always felt that the, the word gay embraces far more than mere sexual feelings. It tends to, where I come from, you know, speak to a sense of identity. Um, it's a it's an identifier um, and not just a descriptor. So I've always felt as a Christian that that temptation is not part of my identity. That also means I, you know, I I don't want to define myself by being same-sex attracted either, um, because it's it's part of my fallenness. It's not part of who I am in Christ. It's not part of my future in Christ. Mm. So, one of the the great things about the gospel is that we're we're not defined by our past. We're defined by our future. Um, I will I will not experience same-sex attraction in the age to come, and I take it from the new testament i'm to define myself now by what i will be not by the remnants of what i of what i used to be mm. so that that's where i am on it i i think the the for me the most important principle is we have a new identity in christ and that identity is is not based upon our sinful nature is not part based upon our temptations and the message of the new testament in terms of its ethics is is be who you now are in Jesus. And so if we get our identity wrong, I think it will mean we we won't be as well placed to get our ethics right. So like I said, I've got good friends who who differ with me on that, whom I, I love and, and admire. Um, but I, I still think it's a serious issue. Um, if we have a, a biblical ethic, but a sub-biblical view of identity, I think that's a very unstable compound. Mm, that's interesting. See, I love the different perspectives. It's like so fascinating as I listened to you and then I previously heard Greg, I was like, gosh, like it's both, I can, I totally see and understand both. So anyway, I am so appreciative of you sharing with us like where you land on that and it's so profound. Um, yeah, I've, I've not had the pleasure of, of meeting Greg. I've, yeah. I've heard he's a he's a, a godly gracious guy so I'm, yeah. I'm sure he would have some some thoughtful things to say in response to what I've just shared yeah totally I know it'd be cool to kind of get you guys both on here to talk about it maybe maybe in the future I want to kind of transition to into talking about singleness I read your incredible book is God anti-gay also it says on here that over a hundred thousand copies have been sold of this so congratulations that's absolutely amazing Sam I'm an author and I know what a big awesome, beautiful feat that is. So we give God the glory. So, so, so cool. Something you do talk about in here is, is singleness and you, you know, the most fully human and and whole person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. And yet he was single. And more than that, he never had a romantic relationship. He didn't have sexual relations. And in your book, you do talk about that we are far more than our sexuality. And yet, when we've talked about this in bits and pieces here on the podcast before, uh, even though, yes, we are far more than our sexuality, and sometimes we say that, but we often don't live that out. And we are very hyper-focused, even as much as we want to as Christians say, like, yeah, we're more than our sexuality. We're still so hyper-focused on our ability to be in a romantic relationships or have a sexual relationship specifically. And so I'd love to just hear from your perspective, why are we so hyper-focused on that today? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, culturally, we've kind of adopted a mindset that you're you're defined by your, your deepest longings and desires. And a society that doesn't sort of formally believe in, in God anymore is is still looking for transcendence in other places and and often that's in things like sexual expression and sexual fulfillment so we've we've kind of i think culturally in the western world freighted sexual desire with this incredible significance of this is how you actualize yourself this is how you really become who you are this is how you fulfill yourself mm. is through fulfilling and expressing your sexual desires so that that's made it such a a kind of front and center kind of area of discussion just in the Western world generally. And it therefore means Christians are often kind of have to speak about it because if, if you don't go with the flow culturally, you're, you're an immediately an anomaly and people ask questions and have concerns about what you think. And so it's become a very prominent feature in, you know, conversation in the church as well, I think for that reason. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. 
I'm moving into like how we, well, how do we dismantle it? You know? So I think that one argument that you speak about also in your book that I have, you know, and now my own research and conversations is that people often view that the they think that the Christian view of sexuality can be dangerous and harmful. And in one sense, I can understand that in the sense of there's there, you know, because of the suicide rates amid homosexuals and especially homosexual teens. So how do we respond to that? The Our view of sexuality is dangerous and harmful to homosexuals. Yeah, we, we've got a big challenge with that. I think the the short answer is we need to show people a much more compelling anthropology so when when culture says something to the effect of you are your sexuality by implication it's saying that a life without sexual fulfillment is not really true life at all and it's not really worth living and sadly it's it's only a few short tragic steps from that kind of mentality to people thinking well if i if i'm not sexually satisfied or if i can't be sexually satisfied really i'm missing the best in life and there's no real point to staying alive now mm. So I think we we want to show people actually we are so much more than our sexuality. Our sexuality is significant. It's a very deep personal part of of what it means to be human, but it's not the be all and end all of life. And as you just referenced, we, we see that most clearly in Jesus. Um, you, you can have full human, authentic, fulfilled life on planet Earth without being sexually active. So I think we want to show we want to lift people up out of this kind of this idea that actually your your deepest sense of fulfillment in life is based on whether you can be sexually fulfilled and show people actually there are so many there's so much more <laughs> to human life than than that one aspect of our experience so i i do want to gently challenge my secular friends who who raise that objection with me and and say to them well it's not christianity that's making sexual fulfillment, the be-all and end-all. It's never been Christianity's message. Actually, we're liberating people from that message. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'm like, gosh, that's a beautiful challenge. And and yet it's probably still hard for people to hear. They're like, well, but wait, <laughs> it catches them off guard. Um, you also referred to Sam in Mark 8.34. It says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And now this in tandem with what we're discussing, many either affirming Christians or secular individuals and gay activists potentially may eye roll at that statement, like deny yourself and take up your cross. Oh my goodness. But can you maybe unpack from your perspective as why it's so essential that you really focus on that as a man who is same-sex attracted? Yeah, it's it's such a key thing. And I, I think the most important thing to just to observe straight away is that Jesus is is saying that to everyone. Yes. Um he says, if if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. So this is not God's word to LGBT people. Yes. This is God's word to everyone. Yeah. Um so it's not it's not a, a verse that is directed specifically at sexual orientation. It's saying actually there's a spiritual orientation that is off for every single one of us. Mm. There's something in ourself as we currently experience it that needs to be denied in order for us to have real life. Jesus says in the verse immediately afterwards that if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of the gospel, you will save it. And it's one of those, those paradoxes of the Christian life that as we, as we say no to our self as we experience it and say yes to Jesus, we find that actually we become more our true selves. We don't become non-people. We become the people God thought up in the first place when he first came up with the idea of us. So I'd want to say to my to my gay friends who who feel obviously heightened sensitivity around that kind of statement that this is not Jesus being non-affirming of gay people. This is Jesus actually being non-affirming of all of us. Yeah. Oh <laughs> um, my gosh. You can be the straightest person on the planet and Jesus is still saying, hey, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So it's it's deeper than sexual orientation. It's about our spiritual orientation. And that's that's an issue all of us have problems with. Yeah. I think oftentimes what I've heard the pushback to be, because I've had conversations with lots of people about this, it's like, it's really that somebody who is 
gay or same-sex attracted would have to give up more. If the call for them is to give up more than a straight person or more than somebody else, I think that's where they're like, well, you're asking me to give up this thing that is so much more than what you have to give up. And I guess that would be my next question for you. Like, what would be your response to, to somebody who's listening right now who's like, but that doesn't seem fair. Yeah, I think the response is simply that in each case, Jesus is saying you've got to give up self. Mm. It, it doesn't get bigger than that. Now, that may land on someone who is gay or same-sex attracted. It will land on them when it comes to their sexuality in a way that may feel heavier than for someone who is say, straight. But actually, the, the straight person is still having to pay the same cost of following Jesus. It, it, they may not feel it primarily in their sexuality, although they should be feeling it very, <laughs> very forcefully there because Jesus' teaching on sexuality challenges everyone. Yes, yes. <laughs> but all of us, it depends where we most tend to locate our sense of self. Mm, that's good. Uh, for the gay person, it's more likely to be located in their sexuality for a straight person, it may still be. It may be located in, in, in any number of other areas. But wherever it is, Jesus is saying you've got to deny self. So it would be a false equivalence to say, well, a straight person has less cost in their sexuality than a gay person. Therefore, their discipleship is harder for them because actually just, just measuring it on that one axis doesn't do justice to what Jesus is demanding of all of us, which is our very sense of self. So who, whoever we've kind of cooked up ourselves to be that has to be given over to jesus and you know again he says if you if you lose your life you'll you'll gain it in other words <laughs> doing this is for anyone is going to feel like jesus is killing us mm. <laughs> that that is part of what discipleship feels like it feels like jesus is is taking our life from us but over time you begin to realize walking in his ways is actually giving life to us mm. but it will feel like the same kind of loss of self for every single person so there have been times i've i've had moments of self-pity as a christian i thought well here i am you know single giving up so much more than everybody else and i, I realize actually it's it's really superficial to to try to gauge what other people are giving up just by superficial appearance um i know a number of christians well enough to know that the cost of discipleship for them is no less than it is for me, even if they're married and have kids. Mm, um, yeah. Somebody once said, don't, don't compare what you're dealing with inwardly with what other people are dealing with outwardly. You just don't know what's going on inside someone else's life. And you may say, well, it's all right for them. They're married. They've got a family. They must be happy. In fact, they, they could be the most suffering, persevering Christian on the planet. So, um, I, I want to avoid the kind of sense of Christians who, who wrestle with, with same-sex attraction are somehow more heroic than other Christians. I, I, I've heard people say that, and it's, you know, it's always nice when someone <laughs> says something <laughs> complimentary like to, to you like that, but I, I, I just don't think it's true. Otherwise, we're, we're buying into the same ultimate mindset that is saying what happens to us sexually is ultimately more significant than what happens in any other area of life, and that's that's just not true. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. Oh my gosh. And it's a hard, it's a hard charge for all of us. Like I'm thinking as you're talking about, like, what are the things that I have to die to self on every single day? And it, it's very difficult as a single person, as a straight person, as somebody who's dealing with XYZ, as the areas in which I most put my identities. Oftentimes it's in work and performance and the things that I feel like drive me or that I'm tempted by. And so, oh gosh, it's it's just a really, it's just a more expansive view and which I, I just, I love so much that you present, which is the way Jesus presents it. You're just reinstating it to the opposite of what we often believe in culture. Okay. 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 So maybe you're eating clean. That's good. But are you cleaning your house very clean? You might not know it, but we may be eating a credit card's worth of plastic each week, thanks to the tons and tons of single-use plastic we throw out. This brand that I just found out about, Blue Land, is trying to fix that. A lot of people think eco-friendly products are more expensive and less effective, especially when it comes to cleaning. Sure, it might say all natural, but you're really not sure if it gets the job done, right? That's why I love Blueland. Blueland has fixed that with its revolutionary refill tablets. 
Blue Land was founded on the belief that a cleaner planet starts at home. It's a simple idea. Buy the bottle once, refill it forever. No more plastic waste. All you have to do is fill Blue Land's beautiful Instagrammable bottles with warm water, pop in one of the hand soap or spray cleaner tablets, and within minutes you have powerful and effective cleaning products in the most incredible scents like rose bergamot and lily mint. I'm telling you y'all, when they say Instagrammable bottles, they really are Instagrammable and really beautiful. Blue Land also has convenient laundry and dishwasher tabs that come in chic and compact refillable metal containers instead of big, bulky, disposable plastic tubs. Blue Land's stunning, high-quality forever bottles start at just $10 when you buy a kit. And they're meant to be reused forever with money-saving refill tablets that start at just $2. So, cut the plastic waste without sacrificing the clean. Get Blue Land. You'll love it, and the planet will thank you. Right now, you guys, you can get 15% off your first order when you go to blueland.com heart. That's 15% off your first order of any product that is from Blueland at blueland.com slash heart. Blueland.com slash heart. Let's get clean, y'all. Let's go. Now, Sam, I want to quickly talk about the traditionally Christian view of marriage. I watched the clip of you making a statement before the Church of England's General Synod where you boldly and beautifully stood up for the traditionally Christian view of marriage. And in that, you said specifically, it is because we are male and female that we have the phenomenon of marriage. Marriage is based on gender. Marriage would not exist without the sexual differences between men and women. And you were saying that referring to Jesus speaking in Matthew 19, 3 through 6. And so right now, I just quickly love for you to share as a same-sex attracted man, why you fight for the traditionally Christian view of marriage. I think it's really beautiful and profound. And so I just would love to hear some of your perspective there. Yeah, thank you. It's it I mean the short answer is because I'm I'm a follower of Jesus and I if I don't follow Jesus in this area of life I'm not really a follower of Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus I mean it's so controversial today but Jesus really does teach that marriage is is between a man and a woman. And that passage in Matthew 19 is so significant. Um because he he again he predicates the very existence of marriage on the fact that we are sexually differentiated as as men and women. Um, he takes us back to Genesis 1 and, and shows us that from the beginning, the creator made us male and female, and then immediately says, therefore, <laughs> a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. So it is because of that sexual difference that that marriage exists. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean the fact that we're men and women means that all of us need to be married, but it means we can only be married in God's sight because we are male and female. So that that's what he's teaching, and obviously there, there's one sense in which it's not in my interest for Jesus to be teaching that. Um, <laughs> right, right. If Jesus taught, you know, it can be two men or two women. In one sense, that would be a green light for me to to go off exploring various, you know, desires I, I might experience within me. Mm -hmm. But actually, again, thinking about it, Jesus' definition of marriage here is not <laughs> is not really in anyone's full interest. Um, from the point of view of our, our sinful nature, I, you know, it, it's so controversial in, in the Western world that Jesus has this definition of marriage. But I've, I've had opportunities to minister in other parts of the world. Jesus' definition of marriage here, that the biblical view of marriage is actually really hard in other cultures, too, for completely different reasons. Um, some of our African friends may struggle with the fact that it's one man and one woman and not one man and three women. There are cultures which which struggle with with Paul's teaching that the man is to lay down his life for his spouse. So it it helps me in a way, and maybe this is just perverted of me. It helps me in a in a way to know that everyone finds this difficult at some point. Um, it's not just it's a view of marriage and sexuality that fits everybody else really neatly, but is really difficult for me. Actually, this is really challenging for everyone. When Jesus gets into not looking at one another with Dustful intent in Matthew five, for example, he's he's showing us that none of us are naturally lined up with God's ways when it comes to human sexuality, mm. and yet the the vision he gives us of human sexuality is so 
beautiful and so profound that I'd, I'd rather be single in Jesus' world than trying to fulfill every single sexual desire I have in my own world. Wow. Um, his, is, his is far more compelling. Mm, I love that. And ultimately, obviously, as we, as we pull back the curtain, we begin to realize that, that the whole idea of a man and a woman in marriage is, is meant to be a picture of Christ and the church in eternity. So there's a whole other dimension going on behind the scenes here that we, again, that, that shows us where the ultimate reality really is. It's not in my sexual desires. The ultimate reality is in the bridegroom who's come and and who desires his bride. That's That's what this is really about. And I can get in on that. It doesn't matter if I don't get in on human marriage. If I can get in on that, mm. then I have what matters the most. I can live as a single person now. I may never have sex for the rest of my life. I'm expecting not to. I don't mind that um, because I've got that reality with Christ now and the consummation in the age to come that is that the sexual consummation in this life is is but a very faint image of. So I'm not missing out on anything, not ultimately. Yeah, I mean, and oh gosh, I just, I want to like rest in what you just said. I think it's, it's gorgeous to, to come to that reality and to be able to, to really, when we break it down and, you know, and sort through everything else that everyone else is saying, it's like, wait a second, this, I already have this beautiful, beautiful connection with God. It's just, it's profound. It's, it's more than we could ever ask for. And, and also though, I do want to present the alternative argument here, which is just, just cause it's coming to my mind about when people are thinking, but what about, and this is, I don't think we've said this on the podcast podcast yet, but what about people um, and gay individuals or same-sex attracted individuals who, you know, they have such incredible feelings of commitment and of loyalty and love. Why, why isn't their faithfulness within a relationship what determines the moral goodness of a marriage rather than the genders or even just a union rather than the genders of those involved? That's a very, very good question. And that, that really is the issue because when Jesus defines marriage, he's not making a comment on the capacity of gay people to be able to show commitment that that's not the issue um it's it's the type of union that results is what jesus is is focusing on because he says it's it's that male female union within marriage that is is the one flesh union uh, that itself speaks of the one spirit union we have with jesus so it's it's very possible i've i've, I've known gay couples that have shown more commitment than some heterosexual couples I can think of. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the, the presence of a virtue doesn't make the relationship morally justifiable. A silly parallel, but if, you know, if a group of bank robbers are off robbing a, ser a series of banks and they they look out for each other, they they make sure all of them gets out okay and they kind of divide the spoils fairly, you're seeing some virtues expressed there. You're seeing camaraderie and teamwork and fairness and loyalty and faithfulness and all these things. But that, that doesn't mean that the thing that they're doing is thereby morally justified. Similarly, when, when Paul encounters a semi kind of incestuous relationships, relationship in 1 Corinthians 5, and he's presented with this relationship, he doesn't say, but, you know, are they committed? He simply says, this is, this is not right. It's not the union that, that fulfills what God has designed human sexuality to be. I think the other thing I'd, I'd want to say is, and obviously in real life encounters with people, you, you want to express things very gracefully and gently and um, over the course of many conversations yes, and yes. deepening friendship and all the rest of it, we're slightly abstracting it out of that at the moment. I'd, I'd want to say actually faithfulness, commitment and loyalty don't have to be sacrificed when you become a Christian. In fact, you can show more faithfulness and more commitment to that person by loving them in the way that God says you should than by loving them in the way that you feel you should. So I think of, I think of two ladies I know who had been in a, a lesbian relationship for, for many, many years, who both came to faith uh, in Christ a couple of years ago. Um, they're at the same church as me. I've got to know them well. I remember, I remember sitting down with them and, and saying, listen, you know, you guys were an item for so long. How are you finding things now that you're no longer romantically involved? And they both said to me, we feel closer as sisters in Christ 
than we felt as lovers. Oh, wow. Wow. So the, the loss of the romantic relationship hasn't meant that they've lost the things that were virtuous. In fact, I, I would say there is, a, because of the, they're walking in God's ways, that they fulfilled the faithfulness and commitment that they had as a romantic couple by being a non-romantic couple, by being sisters in Christ. It, it, it's not that they've gone from a greater kind of love to a lesser kind of love. They've gone from a, a sinful expression of love into a, a godly expression of love. Anyway, that's a, that's a long rambly answer, but I, I think um, where there is common grace in any relationship that's that's not kind of permitted in the Bible, you know, we we celebrate common grace wherever we wherever we find it, and that aspect of the relationship doesn't have to be lost when someone becomes a Christian. Hmm. Yeah, there's so much hope in that answer, and there's so much beauty in that in that story. And thank you for sharing that with those those two females in your church. I think that I would love to ask you then, what does somebody who is maybe listening, there are a huge, I mean, I did a poll earlier at the beginning of the series. There was a huge percentage of people that are struggling and experiencing same-sex attraction, and they're probably wondering, you know, what do I do with that? And and you kind of touched on this as well. I want to go into what do they do? And then, but also like, I want to quickly make the remark as well that we are, you know, we're talking a lot about this and how to, to see it, but I would not say that this is how you should lead in conversation with somebody who is same-sex attracted or who right now is, you know, in an openly gay relationship. I don't think you should lead with being like, well, here, all these things. I think that you should first build friendship and get to know them. And, you know, I, I you talk about that as well later in your book as well, just like starting from the inside out versus the out in, right? Sam, I, can we touch on that quickly and then go into like somebody who is experiencing same-sex attraction? What do they do? Yeah, I think this is really significant because it's it's a it's a temptation for some Christians to think, okay, I've got my biblical understanding of, of sexual ethics. They meet a Christian who is wrestling with same-sex attraction. And so they think, okay, now I need to walk them through Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians yeah. 6 and kind of hit them over the head with these things. Right. My, my experience of this pastorally, um, as well as in my own life, is that the, the biggest struggle most Christians have who wrestle with same-sex attraction, the biggest struggle isn't sexual temptation, it's loneliness. Just as the biggest struggle for most single people I know isn't necessarily sexual temptation in general, but loneliness. So what your friend may most need, your Christian friend who's wrestling with this, isn't necessarily another Bible study on why same-sex relationships aren't right. Um, some may need that, some may still be needing biblical clarity on these things. More likely is they, they need the family of God around them, as we all do. Um, they need friendship, they need people who will walk through life with them, um, commitment, um, friendship, and those sorts of things. So I'm, I'm, yeah, they may need your, your guest room more than they need your Bible yes. Um, yes, from that point good. of view. And that, that's been the case for me. It's, um, I, I was always pretty clear on what the Bible said. That, that was never the thing I was wrestling with. But what I most needed was healthy forms of, of intimacy, healthy forms of community. I needed friends who wouldn't just go and get married and then pull up the drawbridge and then never see me again. Right, um, yep. So and important. too much of the church is like that. So my my message when I, I get to to speak on this to pastors is, you know, don't don't you dare preach an orthodox sexual ethic and not preach an orthodox sense of biblical community. Otherwise, you're you're putting a burden on people they're not designed to bear. If you're not providing community within your church, then you know, calling people to to live. Um, as, as single people, if they're not going to be able to marry someone of the other sex, you know, if you're not going to back that up, that really is, it's actually very, it's a dereliction of your, of your pastoral duties. Mm -hmm. So that, that piece of things is so vital. I actually wrote a book yes. um, a couple of years ago on singleness, yes, you did. really for the, for the church on this, because I think it's not single people who need to get singleness right in their minds. It's everybody else. Yeah, and <laughs> that's true. It, this has got to be a team church thing. Um, you know, if, if someone in the church is is single for what for whatever reason, and they're likely going to remain single for whatever reason, that's where team church says, "Hey, 
we're, we're going to be with you in this. Um, we're not going to just sort of cast you off there on your own to, to try and live in obedience isolated. We're going to, we're going to wrap our arms around you and we need you to wrap your arms around us as well, because we're not going to live faithfully as married people unless we have people walking with us as well. So I think that that's, that's a key thing. Mm. And so my, my main advice to a Christian who's wrestling with this personally is, is, you know, the, the best, the best response to temptation towards unhealthy intimacy is to cultivate healthy intimacy. So, so nurture and look for good, healthy Christian friendships and seek out community, seek out intimacy and, and family. And yes, be, be clear on what the Bible says as well. And that, that's, that's going to be so important. You want, you want to know that God's word is, is for you and not against you. Um, that Jesus isn't trying to, to kind of, you know, trip you up or make life difficult for you. He's every command that Jesus gives us is an expression of his love for us. And therefore, whatever he calls us to say no to, it's only because there's something better he wants us to say yes to. Mm, yeah. Well, so let, let's keep remembering that the goodness of God in all of this. Um, and again, we need one another to help us to do that. And to the person who's hearing that is like so encouraged and yet they're like, well, but this feels like such an, it, it it gives them so much shame that they have to struggle through this. They feel more, you know, almost quote unquote, spiritually unclean. And I think that that is unfortunate. And also I understand and have sympathy in the sense that we, we often claim homosexuality or same-sex attraction. We claim it as the ultimate sin of our time. Like, it's like, this is the sin, you know, this is, yeah. and we put it up here as like, it's worse than other things. And and I see it even just with launching the series. I've seen so many people without even listening to the podcast come into my messages being like, I can't believe you're even talking about this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, have you, did you listen? Do you know what we're saying on this? But it's just that knee jerk reaction of any, like anytime this topic is brought up, anytime we bring up homosexuality in our culture today, especially in the church, it's like, oh, it's, it's, there's like a, there's a there's a fear under it and there's essentially a lot of shame i think that is both being projected onto people and then that on the other side that people are feeling if they're struggling through this and so how do we what what would you say to that person who is feeling the weight of that and then also how can we reduce doing that <laughs> you know overall i think the most important thing is to is to recognize that when it comes to sexuality Jesus levels a playing field. Um, he he doesn't have one message for heterosexual people and another message for everybody else. He he says the same thing to all of us. We're all in the same boat. All of us are are fallen and, and broken in our sexuality. Um, all of us need Jesus massively in our sexuality. And if if Jesus isn't good news for a gay person, he's not good news for anyone. Um, again, because we're all in the same boat. Um, someone asked me once at a thing I was speaking at, they said, will gay people go to hell? Yes or no? <laughs> and um, I said, well, I think gay people need more than one syllable, don't you? So I said, if, if there's no hope for gay people, there's no hope for any of us. Yeah. Um, because we all need the same grace. Yeah. We're all... The symptoms may vary in, in terms of how visible they are, in how obviously socially destructive they might be but all of us have the same heart condition and all of us are have fallen short of the glory of god and and none of us can feel proud of <laughs> well i haven't fallen as far short of god's glory as someone else has because all of us have fallen infinitely short of god's glory so there's there's a there's a right sense where we should be convicted of sin and, and we should feel a sense of this isn't right um, I, I don't want to be experiencing this. This is defiling. But only so that we can we can receive the the cleansing words of Jesus and know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And nowhere does Jesus say, "Oh, and by the way, if if what you're struggling with is is same sex attraction, well, I'm sorry, but that's just terrible, and everyone else is better than you." Um, <laughs> yes. He he just puts us in the same boat yeah. and. Every sexual sinner, which is every 
single person should feel a sense of having been humbled by what Jesus says on these things. All of us should feel a sense of if it, if if Jesus isn't there for me on this, none of us has any hope. We're all on the same, again, we're all in the same boat here. All of us need as much of Jesus as the person next to us does. Sam, thank you. That's, I love that. Um, and I've loved this conversation. I'm so grateful for you and your perspective. And is there anything, I have a f- one final question for you, but I just, you're so rich with knowledge and you get to pastor uh, people on this topic and it's just gorgeous. Is there anything that we missed today that you would like to share? <laughs> the only thing that comes to mind is, uh, is again, it's whichever psalm it is where, where we're told, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Christian life is hard. Jesus is very upfront about that. I, I love that about him. He doesn't bury that in the small print somewhere. It is hard, but it's so good. And I'd hate for people to think the goodness of God must mean the Christian life is easy. And therefore, if I'm struggling, it must be a sign something's gone wrong. Mm. But at the same time, I wouldn't want someone to think that the Christian life is hard such that it's just it's just a life of misery. <laughs> um, it is hard, but it's it's good at the same time. I hope all of us are, are, are training ourselves, and I, I need this every day, of, every day of my life. I need to train my heart to find ultimate goodness in Jesus because it, it, I don't start the day oriented towards that. <laughs> yeah. And so I need to retune my heart every day to think, no, no, actually, Jesus is where my deepest gladness is going to be found. So as, as our friends listening, some of whom may be very aware of, of the pains and the battles of this particular situation in life i hope as well that they're looking at the joys and Mm. the goodness of god in it all even sometimes through tears Mm, yeah sam you're gonna get this final last question because everyone gets it it's a tradition so i'm gonna ask (laughs) you it and it is just what is your final nugget of dating advice for the heart of dating listeners um what is my nugget of dating advice (laughs) um as someone who's I can count the number of days I've been dating probably on the fingers of one hand. (laughs) Um, I think cherish the other person's relationship with Jesus more than your relationship with them. Hmm. Wow. So whatever that looks like, however that maps out on your reality, if their relationship with the Lord matters more to you than your relationship with them, I think you will be steering things in a healthy direction. It'd be a means of blessing to their relationship with God. And that way, if things work out and you get married, wonderful. If things don't work out and you break up, actually, the relationship has still been a gain for you both. Um, you, You can look back and not feel like, well, that was a wasted however many months. But actually, if God uses the relationship for each of you to walk more closely with him, that's a win, whatever the outcome. Yes. Um, We have somebody who's been on the show before, JP, he says, and I love this, I bring it up all the time, like, what if you go into dating with the posture of leaving someone better than you found them? Like, if that is the goal, if if you're consistently focusing on the Jesus and the other person and bringing each other closer to God and it doesn't work out, like, it's beautiful, you know, like we can see dating then not in such a, oh my gosh, dating sucks, which is normally the perspective I hear mostly. Um, And we can kind of see like, oh no, this is an enjoyable, beautiful, God glorifying thing, you know, and it can be, it's how we approach it. It's how we see it. It's, um, it's what we do while we're within it, (laughs) all the things. So. Absolutely. And I think it means that if that person does go on to marry, then their future husband or wife yes. will high-five you. Yeah, yeah. They're like, hey. For the, for the part you've played yes. in, in that person's spiritual growth. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. Sam, this is so great. You've been such a blessing. Thank you for making the time. You are such a busy man and doing beautiful things. If people want to connect with you or you've written more than one book, I'd love to just hear about those so we can get people directed over to those and anything else you may have going on. That's so kind of you. I've written a few things. Um, like I said, the book on singleness may be of interest to, yes. to your listeners, Seven Myths of Singleness. Um, What's the name of I've it? I've got a book coming, <laughs> uh, Seven Myths About Singleness. Perfect. Um, and I've got a book coming out this summer called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, Ooh, yes. which has been been working on that for about 
five years now. Oh my and, gosh, um, Sam, that's great. Just thinking about how, how the gospel is good news for our bodies. Um, so much of what we're wrestling with culturally actually stems from the fact we don't really know what our bodies are or what they mean in terms of having been made by God and all those sorts of things. So um, I hope that might interest people as well. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Well, I guess, is it available for pre-order? Can people pre-order it now? <laughs> they can, yep. In all the usual in all the yeah. usual places. I think it's officially released August the 3rd. I think it may be yeah. in warehouses before then. And so it, may, it may actually be Oh my gosh. Well, that's perfect because this is coming out right around that, which is awesome. And so I, I'm so excited. Congrats, Sam. Actually, that's also my birthday week. So I'm very excited. I'm going to get it as a birthday present for myself. Um, so when, is your, when is your birthday? It's on August 7th. <laughs> so, I'm I'm August fourth. So oh, I'm, it is. I'm a couple of days ahead of you. Oh my gosh, I love August birthdays. It's like perfect month in my opinion with summer. It's like it's just oh, a little more it, chill, yeah. you know. And then September Absolutely. everything picks up. So I love August birthdays. I didn't growing up. I will say that because I couldn't bring cupcakes to the class because my, <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else during the school year. But you know, it was still fun during the summer pool parties. Well, August August babies are the best people, as we all. Name. Yeah, of course. Of course. No wonder we got so much along today <laughs> because we're, we were born in <laughs> August, obviously. Oh, Sam, congratulations in advance on the new book. And thank you so much for um, for this time and for sitting down with us. We were, I, I know I was personally blessed. I'm sure everyone, hoping everyone listening was blessed too. So thank you so much. Oh, it's such a privilege and a joy. Thank you for having me. Man, y'all, I love Sam and all that he shared with us today. I want to encourage you quickly to go and get his book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves. He just wrote it. It's out on August 3rd, and I'd love for you to support him by getting this book. Another book that he wrote that was highly helpful for me was this little handbook he wrote called Is God Anti-Gay? so helpful if you want to really dive into the nuance of theology and just so many different perspectives really really easy read and a great little thing to bring around with you as you're having conversations with people in your church community all right y'all so grateful for sam today and i can't wait for next week on the podcast because next week we are actually going into the very nuanced and very difficult but needed conversation of the trans community so I will see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.